Hello, Let Me Listen podcast listeners. Would you like this part of the podcast to be filled with ads for shaving clubs or underwear clubs or web hosting sites? Yeah, I didn't think so. Neither do we. So this is just a quick announcement to let you know that after several requests from fans, um, Let Me Listen podcast has opened a Patreon page. So if you would like to help support this show and uh, some of the other shows that uh, Let Me Listen podcast produces, then please go to patreon.com slash lemme underscore listen and make a pledge or just click the Patreon link on the Let Me Listen website. We're only asking for $1 a month and the funds will go to making these podcasts better and ad-free. If you can't or just don't want to, don't worry about it. We still love you. And uh, thanks for listening. A podcast we'd like to recommend is the Pre-Review Podcast with the Celluloid Stallions. Every week, TNT pre-review an exciting new release and a movie podcast that thoroughly dissects movies regardless of them being released or not. No movie is safe. Unless these horses' asses haven't heard of it. You can find the Pre-Review Podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for the Pre-Review Podcast. Another podcast we like is Best Movie Never. A producer and screenwriter force guest filmmakers to dig out their old screenplay ideas out of the trash to be dissected, mocked, and possibly revived. Join Brad and Matt as they delve into the minds of movie makers in search of the craziest, far-fetched, worst, or possibly best movie ideas that never made the jump from page to picture. You can find Best Movie Never on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, as well as on their website at bestmovienever.biz. Mama made tonight a crown of cake. What a wing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And on this show, we take an old classic film, whether its reputation is golden or whether its reputation is kind of like a runny egg yolk color that's been running down the side of a garbage can. You know, a really dungy, gross poo color that no one wants to look at or even remember. And we take a look at... Wow, my metaphors go fucking crazy <laughs> at the beginning of every show. <laughs> We take a look at those, and we go, hey, yeah, you know what, that golden color on that classic movie? It's not that great. And you know that poo-colored movie? Actually, I see glints of gold in it. Not this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much. But sometimes that happens, or sometimes we go, yeah, that's real gold, or yep, that is poo. <laughs> <laughs> We take a classic film and we give it a new review. Take a look at it and see if it, it, it lives up to its golden rating or its poo rating. And this week, I made a horrible mistake, ladies and gentlemen, that I can never take back ever again. And I involved one of my closest friends in it when I suggested, well, more or less demanded, that we review a movie that we've been talking about reviewing for a long time. And that is... The uh, incredible film that is about um, that is about three and a half hours long. <laughs> We're lucky enough that it's three and a half hours long. If we had watched the work print, it would have uh, been five and a half hours long. <laughs> just imagine the world in which we live where that could have happened. <laughs> We've reviewed the classic <laughs> western 
romance. The classic studio killer. Heaven's Gate. Yay, right, Steve? <sighs> it's you know, yeah. I mean, you don't it, hate me now, do you? No, actually, it's a mark of. It's like we've been through something together. We've been through you know, a war together. It's like we've both come out on the because I could I can't be mad at you because I know that you suffered as well. <sighs> I'm Frodo and he's Samwise and we're just sitting around Hobbit and going, how in the heck do we go back to our regular lives after we've yeah. seen Heaven's Gate, Mister Frodo? <laughs> that was some shit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bash my head in with a rock, Sam. Just I just want it to be over. <laughs> Make it yes. quick, Sam. We watched Heaven's Gate. Now, for those of you who are like, I've never heard of Heaven's Gate, or you know, or you have heard of it, but you've only heard it in name only, and that you've heard that it was awful and bad. Heaven's Gate is a movie that, um, well, it kind of ended one era and kicked off a new one. <laughs> and after having watched it, I'm like, that was completely justified. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Heaven's Gate was a movie monstrosity uh, 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 that was directed by uh, a director that had been given something that no other director has been given since. And those two <laughs> little words are carte blanche, where a movie studio, defying all reason, says, Hey, director, we're going to give you $11 million, but if you go over, that's okay. <laughs> How could this backfire? Do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Heaven's Gate was a movie that is uh, well known for being awful and for destroying United Artists and for ending directors having complete and total directorial control over a project. Um, and up until that point, not a whole lot of directors had that, um, that amount of control over a project. Um, the director in question is Michael Cimino. He had a little help <laughs> because uh, Francis Ford Coppola wasn't helping that much either because he was out in the middle of the frickin' Philippines trying to film uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> the difference was, was when we finally saw Apocalypse Now, we went, oh, wow, that's a really good movie. Heaven's Gate? Mm, <laughs> not so much. However, we reviewed Heaven's Gate, or I wanted to review Heaven's Gate, because it recently came out again on DVD Blu-ray, mm -hmm. and some people were giving it, you know, saying it's not as bad as everyone thinks. It's actually an American classic. It's a great American film. And I was like, okay, fine, we'll watch it, and maybe it'll be good. Right, Steve? That was the logic behind that the decision. That was the idea, that... yeah. That was the idea, how innocent we were. So I know that we've kind of spoiled our review. <laughs> But look at it this way. We're going to tell you the plot of Heaven's Gate, and then you never will have to see Heaven's Gate ever yeah. again. But you can pretend like you did. <laughs> We're going to tell you everything you need to know. Okay, it's now time for me to tell you who made this vomitorium of a film. It was directed by Michael Cimino, who had also directed Deer Hunter and won an Academy Award for Best Director and Best Picture, one of the reasons why they just threw money at him. <laughs> Produced by Joanne Corelli. I think that's how you sell it. Corelli? Yeah, I think so. Written by Michael Cimino. Problem number two. <laughs> and it stars. And this is where it really hurts because, wow, it's got a great cast. <laughs> yeah, really. It does. It stars Chris Christopherson. This movie is blamed for ending his career for 20 years. 
Uh, Christopher Walken, John Hurt, Sam Watterson, Brad Dourif, Isabel Huppert, or Huppert. I'm not sure how you say it. She's French. Yeah. Is it Huppert? I guess. Huppert. Uh, Huppert? <laughs> Probably not. Isabel Huppert? Isabel Huppert from France. Blinkin', you'll miss him. Joseph Cotton, mm. Jeff Bridges, Jeffrey Lewis, Paul Caslow, Richard Masser, Ronnie Hawkins, Terry O'Quinn, Tom Noonan, yeah. Mickey Rourke, Roseanne Vela, uh, Nicholas Woodson, and William Defoe as uncredited extra. <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted to go back and try to pan through the movie to try to find him, but I didn't want to watch this fucking movie a second time. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm a huge Willem Defoe fan. I was not tempted. <laughs> <laughs> Music by David Mansfield, cinematography by Vilos uh, Zygmunt. Vilos, you really deserved a better project than this. Um, Edited, here's another problem, by Lisa Fruchtman, Gerald Greenberg, William Reynolds, and Tom Wolfe. Four editors. And uh, funnily enough... When uh, Michael Cimino, when it got to the editing process of this, he put a lock on the editing room door, and he's not credited as one of the editors, even though he was holed up inside that editing room editing his movie together for six months, I think. (laughs) Well, he wanted to share credit, clearly. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I think that must have been it. Production company Partisan Productions... Distributed by United Artists. It was released on November 19th, 1980. Theatrical running time. Go ahead. Two two hours and 19 minutes. I wasn't joking. The, the, the original work print for this movie was five and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. And Surely when not they too said, off of that. Uh, hey, Michael, it's a, it's a little long. <laughs> He said, oh, well, about 15 minutes will come off <laughs> And that's when they had to sit him down yeah. and say, Michael. <laughs> okay, it's budgeted at $44 million. It went over budget by... Uh, it was originally budgeted at 11 when he finished it was 44 million yeah and total box office 3.5 yeah that, wow that, that's what that's what is known and i apologize for the insider jargon but that is what is known in the business as a bomb <laughs> all right steve yeah i know neither one of us want to do this this is the path but, uh, we have chosen. Are, are, are you ready <laughs> to summarize the plot? <sighs> and I know for a fact we'll never go over the running time of this movie. No. I know that we have a dare for each other to be longer than the movie itself, but that won't happen yeah, with this it, one. It's not a suicide pact. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready to do the plot summary? Let's do it. Gate? All Let's right. do it. Steve, you do it. Okay. Well, pay attention because this first part of the movie won't turn out to be important at all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We we open in the year 1870 at Harvard. Mm -hmm. It's Harvard and we meet our hero, James Jim Avril, as he is running and running and running and running (laughs) 
and running and running and running and eventually and he, running and eventually after about a day and a half <laughs> well first we have the opening credits oh, remember they're just white white credits on a black background yeah and yeah but to immigrant music yeah yeah it feels very much like the beginning of the godfather <laughs> it yeah it does it does i feel like that's sort of the where chimino was aiming you know, I guess, but I mean, it but, doesn't have anything to do with the white waspy dudes that we follow through this entire movie. No, it it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. We do get we get the 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 opening credits, mm-hmm. which which take forever. Yeah, and then we get Chris and Michael Cipino bills himself twice. Yeah, I noticed put that. up a written and directed by Michael Cipino, like most people who have normal egos, he had to put himself up there twice. <laughs> and you know when you were going over the credits and you mentioned uh, the number of editors, that was something. Mm-hmm. When I, knowing the rep, because this uh, for both of us, this was our first time watching the movie to uh, yeah. to re- to review this, and mm-hmm. uh, but I knew about the reputation of it. And when those four editors came up in that credit, <laughs> I thought, oh, that that's like the warning, like to anybody that's, who that's knows. A big, anyone who watches movies, you have <laughs> yeah. to understand. As a general rule, if you have one editor, it, it and you you're going into a film and you're like, oh, I wonder if this could be good or bad. Um, the more editors you see, you can see it as like a, a cha-cha line. You have yeah. the original editor, then they brought someone in to fix it, then they brought someone in to fix that, yeah. and then they brought someone in yeah. to fix that. The more... So when you're hitting the four mark... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, the more editors you see credited, the, mo- the, the more likely it is that somebody was really yeah. panicking when they were making this movie. Either that, or they had a bunch of editors that kept dying of heart attacks while editing the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a serial killer killing all of our editors on this film. Somebody doesn't want us to finish this movie. Good, he's doing God's work. Get out of his way. Um, anyway, so yeah, we get through the credits. We see James Avril, played by Chris Christopherson, uh, charging through the streets to catch up mm-hmm. to his graduating class at Harvard because it's graduation mm-hmm. day and they're, everybody's they're doing their little parade into the hall to be yeah, and they're graduated. marching to uh, what what song is that? That's uh, fucking oh god, I don't even know. Um, Glory Hallelujah. Oh yes, yeah. Um, the, yeah, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Because we hear it about yeah. yeah, Battle Hymn of the Republic. We hear it about nineteen times yeah. in the film. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <sighs> they they go into the Great Hall to he be meets graduated. up with Billy. Yeah, his yeah his his friend Billy Irvine, played, played by, John, by John, Hurt. John Hurt. Yeah, who yeah one of he is a drunk. Is yes, he is a drunk. <laughs> so at first we have to believe that these two men who are obviously in their 30s are 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 college graduates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you figure something's going on. You're like, okay, right. really they're like, in wow, college. Wow, they failed a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out later, oh no, the movie just skips ahead. So mm-hmm. we we have to we have to pretend they're young for the prologue. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and it turns out that Billy is like the the valedictorian. He's the the uh, he, mm-hmm. he gets to give a speech, but before he does that, oh, but before <clears throat> we can get to the speech part, we have to cut to scenes of them marching through the halls <sighs> of Harvard and across things. Yeah, and march through past people. And, and <laughs> this marching is marching and marching. This is when we 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 begin. It begins to dawn on us that Michael Cimino is not a it big hits fan. It pretty quick. <laughs> He's not a big fan of the concept of montage. He wants to show us every single thing. That he doesn't in seem real to. Uh, time. He never at any point went. Hey, does this uh, 
feed the plot at any point? No, I'm keeping it in anyway. <laughs> Do we? I'm re- keeping in every second of these people graduating from Harvard. Do we really need to follow them every step of the way in real time? Yeah, apparently, all day? we do. <laughs> Yeah, um, so they finally get into the Great Hall, and they, who is who is there to speak to them but the Reverend Doctor, played by the great Joseph Cotton, who thankfully is not in this movie after this scene. No, and you know <sighs> what? He's billed high. Yeah, he, he is. He is billed way high. Because he's Just Joseph like Cotton. John Hurt is billed way high. Yeah, yeah, and John Hurt's not in it a whole hell of a lot either, but... <laughs> Um, and we spend a lot of time with John Hurt's character at the beginning of this movie, don't we? Yeah, like, oh, he's going to be Force. important. Oh, yeah, he's going to be instrumental to the plot. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, there's, I, there's, I guess, some attempt at introducing, like, the message or the point of view or the point of the movie because the, the Is reverend... Is I I, I guess like the reverend doctor gives his little speech about how now these educated young men have to go out and educate you know the rest of the people in america you know yeah and then john hurt comes up and his character is like nah fuck that i'm jokey and a little drunk yeah we're not (laughs) gonna i'm I'm popular we're not gonna educate anything we're just a bunch of goof around guys yeah (laughs) <sighs> and then they dance for 40 more minutes or something. Then they dance. We watch an entire waltz. Yes, we do. They watch, they, they dance to, uh, uh, to uh, Tchaikovsky, don't they? To, yes. To Blue Danube. Blue Danube. No. You, you, well, yeah. Blue yeah, Danube. Blue Danube, yeah. And we watch him, watch these fuckers <laughs> dance around a tree. Yep. The entire waltz, from beginning of that musical piece to the end. And I have two problems with that. Number one... Not shot interesting. Nothing fucking happens. No. Nothing. Nothing happens. Yep. We watch people dance. A girl goes, you're beautiful. And Chris Christopher says, so are you. That's it. That's the total sum of the dialogue that's exchanged between them. And we're led to believe, oh, this girl is important. Something's going to happen with this woman. They keep exchanging glances through this whole thing. No, you'd be wrong. <laughs> she doesn't feed anything into any. There's, there's no... Oh. Oh my god! Yeah, she so, doesn't. She doesn't do anything remotely memorable, which becomes important yeah. for much, 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 much later in the film. The but other part about this is is that that piece of music is owned outright by two thousand and one. Yeah, that was the first thought I had. Too. And the instant you use it, sorry, I ain't <laughs> thinking about this graduation ceremony in eighteen seventy. I'm thinking about two thousand and one. Yeah. Now is that fair? No, but that's what happens when something becomes that iconic in film. And if you want to use it, you'd better have a damn good scene to use it in, not just and a wide yeah, shot of a wall. This is not it. <laughs> this is yeah. This is not it. And the other thing is, is that the music choice doesn't seem to make any sense because they're dancing to this music, but they're dancing to a full orchestra that isn't present in the scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what are they dancing to? They're dancing to that fuck around band that hits all the bad notes that we see later on that yeah. comes back later because we're not done with graduating yet because now everyone has to get in a fist fight around a tree to grab flowers or some <sighs> fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the band comes back and they're like, Oh, is, wait, is that, no, that's Grapes of Wrath. That's, no, that's Battle of the Republic. That's Battle of the Republic. His truth is marching on, my friend. Yeah. Yes. 
So, but they're hitting all the wrong notes, and I'm just assuming that if they wanted to be more realistic, they would have had that band playing the Blue Danube, but uh, we don't know. We, yeah. we get soft focus bullshit. Um, and then they all get in a fight, right? To yeah. Get flowers off of a tree. Yeah, and Chris Christopherson ends up pulling them down. The tree, by the way, which they had to go cut down in three sections and bring to that location and then reassemble so that we could have the completely <laughs> pointless and unimportant scene of them trying to grab flowers off a tree. Well, how nice that they did that, you know? It's nice. <laughs> because we get this beautiful scene, you know? Yeah, and then uh, John Hurt gets hit in the face <laughs> during this thing that they're doing. And then it's nighttime, and then they all sing. To the girls that are up in the... And the, uh, they imply that the girls have been watching this all day. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. They've been sitting in a window watching these fuck-arounds fuck around a tree all goddamn day. Well, uh, uh, attention spans were longer back then, obviously. <laughs> and, and then we cut to them, and they're all singing, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then that whole scene is over, and we're 45 minutes into the goddamn movie. Yep. I'm not... Joking. No, that's absolutely true. I looked at the timer <laughs> while I was watching it. I was like, 40, 45 minutes. This better play out later on in the movie. It doesn't. Don't worry about it. If you want to go to a logical starting point for this film, you can skip 45 <laughs> fucking minutes. 45 minutes, also known as half of a typical movie. <laughs> of the first half of this movie. <laughs> Movies, I mean, uh, there are there there are, and there's an endlessly long list of brilliant films that are around ninety minutes long. This is mm-hmm. half of that time for for mm-hmm. the prologue of this movie that winds up being absolutely meaningless. It has no yeah. effect on anything that comes after. <coughs> nope. So now we get a, a cut, and we're twenty years later in Casper, Wyoming. Yep, on a train, right, on a train on a with a bunch a of immigrants train. hanging off of it. Yeah, yeah. And Chris Christopherson's in there with a beard, and he's old, and he's drunk. He's older, and he's <laughs> drunk. He can't get his boots on. Yeah. And they're, oh yeah, the, there's a bunch of immigrants that have to ride on top of the train. Because uh, apparently Casper, Wyoming is getting flooded with all of these European immigrants. So many of them that they're clogging up the streets yeah. and everyone's complaining about them. And uh, I, I forgot to mention that this movie is based on a real thing that happened called the Johnson County War. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the only similarity between <laughs> the actual historical events and what is portrayed in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So if you watch this film going, oh, we were awful to those European immigrants, don't worry, because this never happened. There was never a flood of <laughs> European immigrants into Johnson County. <laughs> and I can tell you this right now, the actual Johnson County War was actually more interesting than what was portrayed in this film. Yeah. Just go read the read up on the actual Johnson County War instead of watching <laughs> Heaven's Gate. <laughs> and we get there, and um, he meets up with Richard Masser. Yeah. Future president of the Screen Actors Guild, who is uh, doing his best Irish accent that he can, and he's a train conductor? Yeah, something like that. And they know and, each other. Yeah, um, because uh, uh, Jim is coming back from St. Louis. Yeah, he attended a hanging. He attended a hanging. <laughs> 
and because he's a marshal. Yeah. Right. And he's like, where do all these people come from? Just, all these people are around. And the other guy's like, Tootito! <laughs> I'll tell you all this European blobbity blues. And then there's the Ranters Association, and they're going to do bad things. Alright, take my carriage down, and I'm going to go and stand on the thing, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> this is the opening because uh, I had, and I don't know if this happened with you. Did you have audio problems with this? Was the background sound so loud yeah. that you couldn't really understand at times what people were saying? Yeah, it was. It, th- that was a problem for me throughout the movie. It was hard to make out what people are saying, and then yeah. also just the way the way most scenes are written, people tend to talk past each other or to talk uh-huh. very indirectly about things. Yeah. So it's like even if you try to get interested in what's happening, it's it's you really can't. difficult. Yeah. And this is like an exposition unload. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we and I have to remind you that we're almost an hour into the film, um, and we haven't even gotten to the location where the majority of this story takes place. We're still in Casper, Wyoming. The movie doesn't take place in Casper, Wyoming. I just want you guys to know that. Just, okay. It doesn't. It, it's further up in Johnson County. Yeah. But we have to do all this shit first. <laughs> so uh, Jim goes, where, where are these cattle, man? I'm going to go take and go over there. And he's <laughs> like, oh, they're they're taking, they're going to form a gang or something. I don't know. And meanwhile, just oceans of, of <laughs> European immigrants are just getting off. The, I mean, it looks like Ellis fucking island at this <laughs> train yeah. station in Wyoming. And apparently they've all been guaranteed land and they're all trying to get out to their land to settle it and raise crops or whatever. And uh, a few of them are starving because they've had bad winters and some of them are stealing cattle for them to eat. And the Cattlemen's Association, headed by the most evil person that I can think of. (laughs) When I think of an evil person, I, I immediately go to this person, is Sam Watterson. Yep. Sam goddamn Watterson. <laughs> that personification of villainy. <sighs> um, and you know what? He does a good... As I, I have to tell you right now, the actors do as good a job as they possibly can with what they've been given yeah. and how they've been shot. I agree. Okay. But uh, Jim goes over to the Cheyenne Club. Cheyenne Social Club, I think is what it's yeah. called. Um, just in time for them to take a vote on to how many people they plan on killing. <laughs> Good thing that Jim showed up when he did, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Steve. I've been talking. No. You well, yeah. He handle this epic scene. They, yeah. Yeah. Evil Sam Waterston sort of explains to his fellow associates. He even has members, a twirly mustache. Yes. And wears black all the time. Yes. And you know he's all, he's constantly name dropping about like mm-hmm. my friend the governor and we talked to the president and he's behind us too and we're gonna kill a bunch of immigrants and nobody's gonna care and um. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they they have their their evil meeting where they 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 mention that they have a they have a list they have a death list of 125 a names, 150. Um, oh, is it? 100? It's, no, I think it's 125. It's 125. Yeah. And uh, and they'll pay, but no, but 50 comes in because they they're paying 50 dollars a head for anybody mm-hmm. on the list that gets killed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all $5 like dollars a day, fifty dollars a head. Yeah, and and it's all like it's all immigrants. It's all these people who are you know stealing their cattle and and ruining their uh, their ranches. And uh, mm-hmm. Billy's there. John Hurt. Well, lo and behold, John Hurt. Billy's there, drunk. Yeah, and he goes upstairs, and there's Jim. Well, he goes <laughs> up and he goes. Ah, and then he stumbles upstairs and people are like did he say something philosophical <laughs> and and then jim is there and he's like oh yeah Hello, they, billy. we have a meeting <laughs> oh billy, Hello, billy. How are you doing? Don't, aren't we good friends oh yes we're definitely good bosom chums since forever yes and i'm drunk <laughs> and ineffective <laughs> and he tells billy tells him about the death list and Jim's like, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, that's against the law. That's that's a lot of people. They can't kill. He's like, that's everybody in the county. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yes, but this is, I'm drunk and I don't really do anything. I, uh... So so Jim goes downstairs and he's like standing in the the foyer when everybody's leaving the meeting and they all know him because apparently he was in the association and then he was kicked out. And he's not supposed out, to guess, be there. For, because he's some libtard yeah. that likes immigrants. Yeah. yeah. You tree-hugging hippie. What do you mean we can't kill immigrants if we want to? We'll kill anybody we want to kill, That's pretty, including you. That's pretty much what they say. Because he he tells him, he says, hey, uh, uh, drunken Billy upstairs told me about your death list. And you can't do that. That's not cool. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we can. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and he's just, right. don't let me but see they, you they in Johnson slap, County remember they slap each other yeah oh that's right they slap each other yes and Chris Christopherson nearly slaps slaps uh, Sam Watterson unconscious yes they have yeah Chris Christopherson he, wins the slap uh, fight <laughs> yeah, Frank Canton that's that's, that's yeah yeah, yeah that's that's Sam Watterson um, yeah um, and then uh, just in case we were unsure about where Chris Christopherson's leanings were he, he leaves <laughs> And then he sees a bunch of immigrant people being harassed, and some guy gets punched, and he's like, "God damn it, knock it off!" And then he stops from people from being punched, and then the poor woman picks up her cart and takes it out of town with her kid and her husband on it. Um, what else happens? Doesn't he? He's on his way to. Isn't there a scene where he's on the way back to Johnson County and he passes the woman he with passes the wagon? Him. She got really far, actually, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. And her dead husband is like tied to the back of the cart. Yeah, because he died on the way out, and he's like, oh, "What are you going to do now?" <laughs> oh, I don't know. I for I can't work the land without your man. <laughs> Oh, sure, why not? Leave me alone. <laughs> All I right. want to eat him later. Yeah. Doesn't he say he's going to make it right? He says... I don't know says, if he says... He may, does anything that committal. No. At some point, we had a jump... We had a jump... We had a jump cut to um, a little cabin. And some people are butchering a cow. Yeah. Kid, oh, yes, yes. And, and, and a woman wearing a, a burqa. I guess. Yes. Yeah. And another guy and they're all talking in foreign language and I was like, "Oh, wow, we're in Eastern we're in Eastern Europe now." Because they cut the cut to this scene before they've really established all of these European immigrants and all the other big problems. Yeah. And then a shadow comes up and shoots the guy in the stomach with a shotgun. Mhm. And the woman screams and cries and the kid disappears from the scene altogether. <laughs> 
And that's when we meet um, Champion. Yeah. <laughs> Nate Champion. Nate Champion, <laughs> played by who everyone thinks of when you think of a cowboy. Uh, yeah. Christopher Walken. Yep. That, that's the cowboy right there. Okay, I, yeah. Pre all of his uh, all of his verbal quirks. Yes. Before, yeah. This is not the Walken where it's like, wow, <laughs> I just shot you. <laughs> Stay dead. <laughs> Get off my land. He is, uh, he's what they used to call a cattle investigator. Um, he's kind of a regulator, and basically he rides around to try to make sure that people don't steal cattle. Um, and he actually works for the association that Frank Canton runs. Yeah. And Nate Champion is a real goddamn person who actually was alive and has statues of him in Wyoming because the man was an awesome son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Who deserves better than this movie yeah. to tell his story? Um. Anyway, <laughs> my anger at the at the misrepresentative history aside, um, he shoots the, them. Then he rides alongside a, a a huge procession of all of these. Again, that didn't ever happen. All of these European immigrants and their their carts, and they dub they overdub him saying, "Go home." <laughs> <laughs> so we're introduced to this character and we're really not sure how we're supposed to feel about him, I guess. No, right? yeah, I mean cuz yeah, he I mean he turns out to have kind of conflicted. Yeah, uh, he's kind of been motivations. placed in a weird, yeah, he's yeah. been placed in a, an awkward position. And then we cut back to uh Chris Christopherson, he comes into Casper, Wyoming. He's been notified that there are 150 people that are on a death list. That that's like, as he says, as several people say several times throughout this uh, movie, um, that's that's a lot of people. He doesn't immediately go into town, uh, organize a meeting, and say, "Hey, everybody, guess what? Um, I just found out there's a death list. People are going to come, and they're going to come shoot you." Just so we'd let you guys know, so that maybe I don't know, you could run and get away from them. Before they get here to kill you all. Uh, he doesn't do that. Instead, he rides up to this log house. This house? Right? Yeah. It's just a house. Just Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Or, as yeah. it's also known, Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming's beautiful country. Too. It is. Yeah, it is. But, yeah. And he he goes into this house where there's a woman there. Um, and her name is uh, Ellie? No. El Ella. Ella, yeah. Ella Watson, who, by the way, is also uh, based on a real person. Not this person, <laughs> but based on a real person. And uh, they have some nice chit-chat, and he eats a piece of pie, and then she strips off all of her clothes and runs around for a little while. <laughs> and he stays and finishes the pie. Because <laughs> it must have been delicious. I just Must have been really good yeah. pie. <laughs> He's like, I'll be there in a second. <laughs> and then he's then once they're both completely naked, they don't get to have sex because he tells her he got her a present. She runs outside, and it turns out it's the carriage that he was bringing, and she's really happy. And then the door opens, and a bunch a bunch more naked women stumble out. Everyone's got their boobs showing. Ellie, you know, Ella's out with just with a, a blanket yeah. that isn't even wrapped around her because it's fallen down. And you can see her tits all over the place. Those tits are over there, and you're like. Like, what the Whoa. fuck? No one's told me. Are they married? Who are these people? Yeah. And we have to figure out later on 
that she runs a bordello. Right. But at no point in this scene do they bother to let us know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah this is a bordello. All these people are, are prostitutes, and she's like a madam. That would have been helpful, <laughs> rather than me thinking, people didn't do this. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. People had a sense of decorum. You just didn't wander around half naked in front of a whole bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> there is a line Jim does have a line where he says uh, when she first shows him the pie that she baked and he says yeah. how is it you're able to take care of business and still bake a pie so that's that which turns out to be a, an allusion to like her taking care of business as a, as a madam oh, oh you see but what you don't I really figured get that, that meant was that I just didn't naturally assume that the first female character that we're introduced to in the film was necessarily a fucking prostitute yeah. I just assumed you meant how do you clean the house and and do and and take care of the cattle and raise you know do the stuff that you need to do to keep a household yeah. together although it does explain I didn't just assume <laughs> it does explain why she immediately takes off all of her clothes after he says that, yeah, that was that was a little weird. She's like, "Do do do, look, I'm I'm naked She's now like, and I run away." Yeah, I'll show you. Um, so now we cut to. Is it the chicken fighting? Scene? Um, don't they go for a ride first? Or is the oh, chicken? God. Or is the chicken yeah, fighting scene okay. before this? Did we skip the chicken fighting? There's the chicken. Yeah, he uh, he comes into town and he goes to Jeff Bridges's bar. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, well, Jeff Bridges runs a bar called Heaven's Gate. Yeah, yeah. It's what the movie's named after yeah. for some fucking reason. <laughs> <laughs> and he's running a chicken fight. And by the way, that's a real chicken fight going on. So if you don't like watching animals hurt each other, you probably want to skip this scene because it goes on for fifteen minutes or so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they, they they treat this chicken fight like the boxing match in a Rocky movie. Like yeah. they show us the whole thing. Like I the bet people whole... are going to be fascinated by the the ins and outs of this cockfight. Yeah, no, we're not, <laughs> and it's kind of upsetting. It's okay. You don't need to show me but, anymore. <laughs> but yeah, he shows up and he's like, "Here, I got you a gun." <laughs> and he gives him a gun, and then does he even tell him about the death list? Yes, he does. Because remember, Jeff Bridges' character is one of the people that says that's a lot of people. You know what? I don't think that's what happens. Really? Because I think he does go out on the little... Okay, we then cut to a 15-minute them riding around doing shit scene. Yep. Oh, and maybe it was the cockfight. Then he says, there's a death list. And he's like, oh, okay. You going to tell anybody else in this room? Nope. Nope. We're going to watch two guys have the stupidest on ever filmed fight ever. Where two of these immigrants yeah. spit on each other for ten minutes, and we're are we supposed to think it's funny? I guess. I mean, and it, yeah, because we we again that's this is something we we see the whole thing, and we yeah. see Jim like intervene, and he's like, okay, now you tell me what's going on, and the first guy tells him his side of the story, and then they spit on each other some more, and then we just kind of cut away from it. It's like it's not even over yeah. yet. It's like, well, why did we stick around for this long? Yeah, why did we even watch this? Right. This kind of made the immigrants seem really stupid. Yeah. Like, really stupid. But we cut away, and now we're on a nice picnic adventure. <laughs> I need to reiterate, Jim has told no one, and I mean no one other than Jeff Bridges, that there is a whole fleet of people coming to murder the fuck out of this town. He, They ride around in a carriage, 
Um, she gets naked again. Yep. To bathe, to bathe in the river. Yep. Sure. Right? Yeah. Well, how else do you, how do you celebrate getting a new carriage? Yeah, exactly. And then he he comes up, she comes up, and he's like, I want you to leave. And she's like, I'm not gonna. That's it. (laughs) You sure? Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm really, I'm losing the thread, dude. When do we find out that Nate Champion also likes her? Doesn't he show up? When someone gets drunk, I can't remember. <laughs> There's no, at some point in here, they go to the roller rink too, don't they? Well, I think that's, that's later. Yeah, that's le- I think that's later yeah. because I think they established. Doesn't Nate bring Jim home because he's flat out drunk? Yes, and he lays him in bed, and they imply it's good. It's a good thing that it's, Nate, you're a good friend to Jim, and he's like, uh huh. <laughs> We don't actually get to see them demonstrate their friendship at any point, nor do we really see them interact with one another other than a fight that happens later on. Nothing. We don't actually see them where both of them are conscious in a room until later on. Um, But that's where we find out that Nate's got feelings for Ella. Yeah. And Ella still makes him pay for sex. Uh, Can you believe it? That is so cold hearted. For someone who makes because, a living you know, like that, job. that's what she does. <laughs> right. But she doesn't. Apparently, she doesn't make Jim pay for sex. So that must mean love, right? Yeah, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And um, then we have the roller skating dance. I did not make that up. <laughs> that is in that is in the movie. Jim, fully aware that um, killers are coming because we have cut to a scene now where uh, Frank Canton goes into a lot and says, hey, who wants to make some money killing people? And people go, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I'll do it. And he recruits a whole bunch of people. Yeah, so... The- and then we cut to Jim. <laughs> Not doing anything about have, it. <laughs> we have a five-minute scene of a person playing a fiddle roller skating. That's not a lie either. No. <laughs> Because Just Michael roller skating, because Michael Cimino understands narrative momentum. Oh, you know what? That's I, 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 we did get things mixed mixed up. Because you're right. I think it is the roller skating scene. Because then everybody roller skates, and then um, uh, Jeff Bridges gets drunk and he gets sick to his stomach. Yes, yes, right? yes. And then all of a sudden, everybody's gone, and it's just Jim and Ella. Dancing alone with the band. <laughs> yep. And then doesn't Jim get so drunk that he has to be put in the back of a carriage or something? Yeah, I can't and I remember. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's when Nate. That, that's when the scene. Yeah, with and then Nate where they have all the yeah. whole thing, and Nate proposes to her. Yeah. And says, "I want to marry you," because I'm, you know, what that'd be good. And she's like, "I don't know." And then she goes over to his house, and Mickey Rourke's there. And he's like, hi, I'm his friend. And then uh, another great character actor who barely gets any screen time in this. Uh, uh, what's his name? He's in a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. I can't remember his name. Uh, um, he recently passed away. Yeah. I can't, uh, yeah. I, 
it's going to drive me crazy. Anyway, he meets his two friends, and he, he invites her in, and he's like, look, I got wallpaper. Will you sit down and, and eat with me? And this, fun, another fucking scene where nothing happens, people just talk back and forth for 10 to 15 minutes in a dimly lit room. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and then she tells because we're now in the romance part she tells Jim that Nate proposed and then they get in a fight and they punch each other a little bit and this is I think this is literally the very first interaction that we see between Nate and Jim yeah. the only reason we have to believe that they're friends is because other people have said it yep Okay, but we've never actually seen the two of them being friendly in a three and a half hour fucking movie. <laughs> we can't have a single scene where the two of them act friendly to one another. <sighs> how are, how right. are you going to make room for that and still keep all the dancing and roller skating? Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, think about that. Uh, I, I don't, it, I it's, don't know. it's easy for us to criticize. I'm just saying. Oh, they, I, so, at some somewhere in here, I I, I can't remember if we haven't gotten to it yet, or if we haven't, or, or if we skipped it. But it's it's in this general area that uh, Jim uh, doesn't he go to the fort and and they're he they're, goes they're to playing the fort baseball, where everybody's playing baseball, and that's where he gets he that's where he actually gets a copy of the death list. Yeah, and he finds John Locke there, and he's like, yes. "Hey, <laughs> uh, a lot of people are going to come and kill everybody. What, what do you say?" And, and he's like, I don't, yeah, here, here's the list. We don't care. Back to baseball. Yep. That's a whole scene right there. And he gets a copy of the death list and he goes over it and he says again, that's damn near everybody. We know, Jim. <laughs> we know. You said it before. Uh, And then. And Ella is on the list. Yeah, Ella is on the list. And he's like, you got to get out of here. Oh, and that's when we cut to um, Hoitito, Titaititi, <laughs> who sees the train full of people come in with all the killers and everything on it, and the horses and stuff. And um, he gets on his horse, and he's going to tell everybody, because he's more moral than fucking Jim, yeah. who has told no one anything. And he's like, I'm going to go and do it. But then he gets killed on the way there. <laughs> yep. Ah, ha, ha. Thought you were going to be heroic, huh? Now, I can't remember if the awful scene with Ella... No, it happens after. Okay. Right? It happens after because they get all the horses off. And, oh, no. John hurts with them. And he's (laughs) drunk. And he's all like, okay, guys, we're all here. Let's go. Intermission. Yep. <laughs> this was intermission. This was the point at the premiere when people were like coming up to Michael Cimino and telling him how much they hated the fucking movie. Here is how much essential plot we've learned in the two hours that we've been watching this movie. Mm. There's a death list, and a bunch of enforcers are coming to kill people. Jim loves a prostitute. And so does Nate. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and the movie is named after Jeff Bridges' place for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
let's buckle in for the last part of this movie, shall we? Let's go. And let's start it off with something that everyone loves to see, rape. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Yep. God because you can't have a revisionist western with female characters without working rape mm-hmm. in there somewhere. Yeah. So, uh Canton's posse rides off and she gets into the house after being told again, "You got to go." Right. And she's like, "Nope." And uh what's his name gets all upset. He's like, "There is this where he gets all upset?" He says, "They're just things." Yeah, yeah. You can buy buy plenty of things. Because uh, uh, supposedly he's rich. Jim is rich. Right. He's the richest marshal in the old west. Yeah. There's there's never even really even an attempt to explain why this wealthy Harvard educated guy is working as a marshal in Wyoming. Yeah, and also why he's rich, and also why where he lives it has rooms dedicated to immigrants living there. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if any attempt had been made to establish or solidify this character, that would have been like, oh, that wouldn't have been a surprise. You wouldn't have been like, what the, f- why? He doesn't seem to care about anybody. Why? Why are all these, why are all these people living in the same, in the same place that he does? I don't get yeah. it. Are they all under arrest? I mean, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> but she goes home, and there are three scumbags there. And uh, they commence to the raping. Uh, if you don't want to watch that scene, skip it because it has almost no impact yeah. on her or anything else. It's just used as a motive. It's the worst use of rape ever. It's not a commentary about rape. It's not a commentary on the characters. Nope. It has no lasting impact on her other than maybe she gets angry enough to shoot guns or some fucking shit. Um, but it's used, simply used as a motivator for Jim. That actually doesn't motivate him. No. As strongly as you would Nothing think. Nothing seems to motivates, motivate him. Motivates someone else. Motivates a different character who I wish we were following through this fucking movie. Yeah. It motivates Nate. Nate but it doesn't. <laughs> but what happens is, all of a sudden, while this awfulness is going on, and it's also indicated, I don't know if the other prostitutes are dead or if they've been beaten. Yeah. Are they dead? I don't know. I know they're, they're not around. Uh, yeah, they're not around. No, they're up in the. They show them up in the. There's a shot through the window of them lying unconscious or something. I don't know if they're unconscious or if they're dead. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember that. Um, but uh, this is when uh, Jim is like a ninja, like cowboy ninja, and he's on the roof all of a sudden, yeah. and then he's behind a guy and he slits his throat, and then he shoots two other guys, and then he fails to shoot a guy who runs away. Um, and that scene is over. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Nate, who, uh, finds out, uh, that, um, bad happenings has been going on, immediately goes to the tent where Frank Canton and his men are all holed up and they're all just, you know, waiting, doing stuff. And one of the guys, one of the rapist dudes is standing there. And he says, hey, buddy. And, and and Nate just whips his gun out and blows his brains out all over Frank Canton. <laughs> and they, they exchange a bunch of words in which he's like, you've never shot anybody. And then Frank has to demonstrate that he can by going out and shooting some dude they have tied up. Yeah. 
And <laughs> oh boy, Frank's bad. Yeah. Hey, what do you think of that? I can kill people. Yeah. See? Huh? I'm not a wimp. <laughs> I can t- I can shoot helpless people. What do you think of that? <sighs> and so then they decide, I guess, hey, we got to kill Champion. Right. Yeah. So they besiege his little cabin. <laughs> And then uh, out of nowhere, while the, they're holed up in their cabin, Ella shows up um, and does almost nothing. <laughs> it's like she rides past, shoots a couple of people, and then just keeps riding past. Yeah. Um, and then they shoot all of Champion's friends. And then they set the cabin on fire, and Champion writes a little note. And sticks it in his breast pocket, and then he comes out, and uh, he's got a bench for a shield, which does not work. <laughs> it was bad planning. And he's guns a blazing, and um, they shoot him, and he dies. And in real life, they did set fire to his cabin, and he didn't come out with a fucking bench, <laughs> and he did have notes to his friend tucked into his breast pocket. But he came out with a fucking knife and a gun. (laughs) (laughs) So he's he's dead. And then I can't remember. Do they finally, after all of this... Yeah, okay, this is what happened. After that happens, they're finally having their meeting. Finally, now that all of the men are in county killing people... (laughs) They're finally, he's finally like, hey, guess what? There's something you should know. <laughs> I know I've been here for about a week. <laughs> Better late than never, right? But, uh, yeah, someone's going to come and kill him. And then a great big huge argument happens where the richer of the immigrants say, well, you guys, eh, you poor people, you deserve to die. And the poor people are like, fuck that. And then Trotsky shows up. I don't even know where he came from, but... Uh, Brad Dourif, who looks exactly like Trotsky, <laughs> yes. shows up and he's like, no, we must rise up and defend ourselves. And everyone's like, yeah. And we don't even know what Jim's opinion is on all of this. He doesn't seem to be supporting either side. No. And um, they all decide it's time. Oh, and they're in Heaven's Gate again because it's the biggest meeting room. right? Yeah. And then she comes in and she says they're here and they're killing people and everyone goes yeah let's go and then they ride out to where the bad guys are and they ride around in a circle for five and a half hours (laughs) shooting at stuff and they're shooting back and then uh John Hurt's character says another poetic philosophical thing and then he gets shot and he he died. Aren't you glad he was so much attention was paid to him? It's, in the beginning of the movie. It's so good that he was in the movie, wasn't it? It's always nice to see John Hurt. <laughs> and then um uh what happened? Jim doesn't go. Jim yeah. doesn't go riding out with him. He's like, I'm I'm gone. He packs a suitcase, he gets a gun, and and he's gonna leave. And everyone's fighting this fight. Jeff Bridges is out there and, and Ella's out there and everybody's out there, you know, the dentist with his little dental van and, and everybody is just out there fighting. And um 
Um... Oh, and then Jim rides up and he sees... That's right. Jim rides up and he sees Champion's body. Yeah, and right? he reads the note. And reads the note. Then he goes home, and then he packs away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. And then he has, then he sits there on his horse trying to make a decision as to what he wants to do. And then eventually, he rides off to join them. And then they make siege engines. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because the okay, the military dudes have upturned carts and they're behind it and they're in the middle of a circle, and all the immigrants are outside and they they have made these Roman siege engines, and actually the only funny line in the movie is that general that's been helping out the uh, helping out the the, the uh, cattlemen yeah, the association he goes he goes damn Romans. <laughs> <sighs> So now we have this extended Spartacus scene uh, where yeah. <laughs> people are shooting and guys get their legs run over and Trotsky gets shot in the head and more people die and people are shooting back and forth and throwing dynamite and uh, Canton escapes and he's like, I'll be back. <laughs> and we're like, well, great. And he somehow manages to escape. He says, I'll be back with help. And uh, fighting and and fighting and fighting and fucking fighting and (sighs) there's so much dust and dirt and smoke you can barely see what's going on half the time. And finally, Canton shows up with the cavalry and they're like, hey, you guys can go home and we'll take these guys into custody. And Jim's like, you're just saving them. Why don't you? Why don't you admit it? He's like, there's nothing you can do here, Jim. <laughs> and so uh, then a woman blows her brains out. <laughs> <laughs> just w- woman. Yep. On the battlefield, she's upset. She's, yeah. And she blows. Yeah, she blows her brains out. And then Jim and. Uh, G- Jeff Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> J- JB. JB yeah. and Jeff and Ella, they all go home and they're going to leave for good and they pack up all their stuff and they're leaving. And then, uh oh, SpaghettiOs uh, in true bad drama form. <laughs> the bad guy shows up, shoots Ella, shoots JB, and then Jim shoots Frank Canton and the two dudes. And then. Uh, Ella is dead, and Jim's upset, and then we hard cut to a boat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and we are we are told that uh, we've also jumped forward in time again. Yeah, we've jumped forward to nineteen oh one oh seven three nineteen oh three, and we're on a yacht, and we see Jim, and and he's a bit older now. Yep. Doesn't have his beard anymore. Nope. Apparently he wasn't fucking around about being rich, because <laughs> he's he's on a goddamn yacht. And he says, "What the hell was I doing in Wyoming in the first place?" <laughs> and he wanders he wanders down below decks, and there's a woman there who wants a cigarette, and there's food and stuff. And I think it's the same woman from Harvard yes. that was at the beginning of the. It thing. is. That's that. This is. And I. That's th- what I said about. I think they alluded to the fact that Jim might actually be married to this woman the whole time. Yeah, yeah, they kind of did. Because a picture of him and that woman is that that he yeah. he 
carries around with him and people see it all the time. Yeah, and that, that's what I said when in at the beginning when he dances with her mm-hmm. and she does nothing even remotely memorable. Like we're mm-hmm. really supposed to remember after three and a half hours that this is the same yeah. girl that he danced with this at is Harvard. The same woman, right? <sighs> yeah. And I think the whole implication is is the reason he couldn't marry Ella is because he was already married. Right. And uh, so then he lights, gives her a cigarette and he lights it. And then he goes back out onto the deck. And the movie's over. <sighs> Cue up immigrant music for the ending credits. <laughs> And then you realize, oh, yeah, wait, the movie's over. I'm human. I'm, I'm alive. I'm a living person. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then you go to the guard at the front, and they give you your personal effects and zero <laughs> and you out weep. your commissary account. And you, yeah. <laughs> zero out your You meet your family who's picking you up outside, and you, you go out and you start your life anew. <laughs> the end. <sighs> Steve, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. This was my idea, and I'm so sorry. Man, I forgive you, because... Some people said it was good. (laughs) Some people need to get their eyes checked and their ears checked and need to to stop fucking around, because I I know that there is, like, some attempt at, like, a critical rehabilitation of this movie... Not, it's not. Gonna I'm work. not seeing it. I'm not seeing the case. I mean, okay, we got to do officially. Yes, we got to do it officially. Yes. Steve. Yes. What do you think about Heaven's Gate? Oh man, can't we talk about Days of Heaven instead? No, um, I really, really don't like a single thing about this movie. Uh, except maybe that the scenery is beautiful when they get to Wyoming. The, uh, oh, yeah, the, only a couple of shots. Yeah, not, yeah, you don't get much of it, strangely enough, uh, for an epic Western taking place in Wyoming, but, but the, what mm. there is is, is really beautiful. Um, but, yeah, this is such a terrible movie. Uh, it, it commits the sin that we have discussed in previous reviews of, like, of sort of comparable bombs like this. Uh, Be good. Be bad. Yeah. Don't be, be boring. boring. Exactly. And and that is that in a nutshell is the problem with this movie. Is it, mm-hmm. it's not that the performances are bad, it's not that the actors are bad. It's not even that it's poorly made technically, although I mean that kind of comes in I don't think it's poorly ma- I don't think it's poorly made technically either. But it's poorly it's poorly presented. It's poorly told. It's 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 poorly paced. It's poorly put together. Um and and it's the most expensive student oh, film ever. Yeah. I mean, well just like things that we mentioned a little bit as we went through the the plot. I mean, that stuff at Harvard that isn't even distinguished by its style. I mean, if it was at least no. beautifully shot or had some inventive camera moves, I mean, we get these long scenes of people dancing and it's almost all done in wide shot. There's no reason for us to be watching this. And no. and yeah, it's it's long and it's boring and it's pointless and it it's it I was kind of angry at it when it was over because I really felt like it was just a you huge it was just a huge <laughs> pretentious waste of my time. There you, you know? go. You hit the nail right on the head. Pretentious. Yeah. 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 
Um, I'm angry at this film for a number of reasons, not just because it wasted, you know, three and a half hours of my time. Um, I'm I'm angry at this film because of the long-ranging effects it had on the industry itself. Yeah. And what I'm mostly angry about is um, before Heaven's Gate, I was kind of like, oh, it really is too bad because it it really kind of took power away from directors to be really express themselves. And the reason I'm angry is because I I, I came away from this movie and went good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> directors need limits. Yeah, like I can kind of see this. You you want to know you want another better example of when a directors need limits and they don't give them limits? They're called the fucking prequels. Oh. Yeah. There has never been a good example, with with the exception of Citizen Kane, where if a director has been given as much power as they do, that they ever produce anything that's actually decent. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't just mean... I mean, there are lots of directors, small independent directors, who have been given... who completely control their film, but they have limits of budget, or they have limits of, of, of where they can shoot, yeah. and they become creative on how they can do it. But if you... There are certain directors out there where if you give them as much funding as they want and let them do whatever they want, we fucking get Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Yeah. And it justified the reasoning as to we can't give directors carte blanche anymore. All you have to do is point to Heaven's Gate and go watch it. <laughs> Better yet, I think if you ever, if there's a studio executive who says, hey, you know what, let's give Joss Whedon carte blanche and let him do whatever he wants, they should take that studio executive, sit him down, and not make him watch the, the, the released version of Heaven's Gate. They should make him watch the five and a half hour work print oh, of that goddamn God. movie. Because this movie could, if they had not put their foot down, we would have had a five and a half hour movie. And God knows what they could Oh, have. I know. How, what, yeah. That the five and a half hour cut, I'm pretty sure, is prohibited under the Geneva Convention. I don't think people can actually <laughs> the people aren't really allowed to watch it. I mean, and you know, I'm not. I, you know, I'm holding a lot of animosity towards it because of what it did to the to the industry. But I'm trying to remain pure and just review it strictly as a movie. And as strictly as a movie, it is it is an awful film. Yeah, because it is long. It has scenes that I'm sure mean something to the director, but they're so poorly framed, and they do, they really don't um, uh, reference something that's later in the film. If we're going to spend so 45 minutes with John Hurt's character to not have that character play out or have any importance, he has no importance later yeah. on in the film. He is on the side of the cattleman. He does nothing to try to redeem himself. He just kind of stands around and makes drunken comments until he is shot. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's it. So why did we have to spend 45 minutes setting up a character, and even more so, spending 45 minutes when these characters are 21 years old and then jump to when they're 40? Yeah. If you're trying to make a framing device saying, well, look how much they've changed. We didn't spend any quality time in the 45 minutes when they were in Harvard. No, no, we... There is no dialogue exchange between any of them talking about what they want to do or who they are or what their dreams or aspirations are. None of it. We have a jokey joke speech by John Hurt. I don't even think that, that Chris Christopherson's character has more than three lines of dialogue in the first 45 minutes no. at no, all. No, he doesn't. He says that, that, that exchange with the girl when they're dancing, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what this movie reminds mm-hmm. me of? Uh, especially when you talk about the John Hurt character and how he has this way of like saying things that I guess maybe Michael Cimino thought would, would play as like profound 
or or Profound, tragic yeah. or whatever. It reminded me a mm-hmm. lot of, of of another movie that is is not this bad, but is still awful and is awful for many of the same reasons. Which is the movie uh, that came much later, uh, Gods and Generals, the uh, the Civil War movie yep. uh, that was the sequel to Gettysburg. And that movie is also awful and awful for many of the same reasons that this movie is. And yeah. it has there are these scenes similar to the kind of dialogue they give John Hurt uh, in Heaven's Mm. Gate where there are characters like standing, you know, watching a Civil War battle and like quoting Cicero and you're sitting there watching going, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Is this supposed to be poetic? Is this supposed to be profound? Is this some kind of artistic Uh statement on the nature of war? And it's like, I don't, by that point, you're like, I don't even care. Like this, that's mm-hmm. the thing about the John Hurt character. But by the time he he gets in, he's introduced into what becomes sort of the present day of the film, the the 1890 portion. Uh, mm-hmm. We've we've seen so much pointless movie that even if you were open to that character being sort of a commentator on life and the American dream and disillusionment and blah blah blah, it's all it's surely it's all been beaten out of you by now. Like you couldn't possibly oh, care yeah. about anything that this guy has to say. And it's directionless. It has no. It's almost as if. He doesn't understand that you have a, you know, you have a plot line. You have given the audience this thing that you expect to move forward on the death of 150 yeah. people. Yeah. And it's dropped for two hours of this of the running time of this film. And nothing that happens in that two hours is worth two hours of screen time. No. <laughs> and the really, the really frustrating thing after you've watched the movie is if you reflect on it for just a little bit, that basic plot of you know conflict between the rich landowners and immigrants in the old west mm-hmm. and a death list and a marshal who yeah. has like the the responsibility to to fight. You know, to to protect the people who are on the death like that is mm-hmm. the plot for what could be a fucking amazing western. That's a great. Oh, yeah. that's a great the, western the, story. Yeah. It's called the true story of the Johnson. Yes, Bond. yes. I mean, it's and it's like if this was if if this movie was just about that, you know, and 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 Chris Christopherson's character was was like you know the sheriff in High Noon, like facing down impossible odds to do what's right, and you know facing against mm-hmm. these politically powerful enemies, and it was like a ninety-minute, two-hour movie. It, yeah. that it could could have which been a, this movie very well could easily, have been. easily could have been easily. easily. Could have been. I would even have have accepted it as a two-hour movie. Yeah. Or at pushing it maybe a two and a half if there were things that that you wanted to to comment on. But even the stuff, no one in this movie comes off as particularly good. The the um, immigrants are not portrayed well at no. all. They're constantly dirty. They're always fighting. They don't seem to have any unity until the script decides. Oh well, they need to have some unity so that we can have the big fight scene. Yeah, yeah. And um. You know, for something that takes so long to get to its points and filling all of these empty spaces with, you know, um, well shot, well shot scenes. Yeah. You know, sometimes <laughs> when he has, doesn't have smoke blowing directly at the camera, <laughs> there are a number of yeah. shots where smoke is blowing 
direct, and I'm like, oh, well, that that might be a, an interesting shot if I could see it through the fucking smoke that you have blowing directly into the camera lens. Um, a, the, a number of people have made note that Michael Cimino is not good with people, and he spent a great deal of time trying to set up shots that as, that were aesthetically, that's how he wanted. He was all about aesthetics and shots. It was not so much about people. But even these shots are not remarkable. No. That's true. It's hard. Okay. It's, none of it's these, hard to think of a of, single really distinctive shot in the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, there is nothing. This this movie is not amazingly rich. It is not deeply layered, deeply textured. There's uh, some just some shots that are in there that are kind of like what? Are you, this is point. There's a scene <laughs> between Canton and Champion, in which behind Jim, in the window. In the background is someone juggling. Yes. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is the point of this? <laughs> it has nothing to do with what the two people are talking about. We barely know either one of these people personally. If you're trying to make a deeper statement as to what's going on, you're doing a very, very bad job. And I heard. and Okay. He shot 220 hours of film for this movie. That's like 12 million feet of film. And supposedly he told someone that he wanted to shoot more than than Coppola did for Apocalypse Now. But again, I have to reinstate. When Coppola was all done, we had Apocalypse Now. Exactly. <laughs> There's your problem. He shot stuff. Apocalypse Now. There are scenes that will strike you. There are when he did some when he did epic stuff. Even if it's just guys trying to get to Playboy bunnies on a helicopter, <laughs> you could feel you could feel the scope of it and what it took to take the, to pull off that shot there is nothing in this movie that feels epic no. it just feels like get as many people into that shot as possible great but i don't know what's going on i don't feel anything about the there's a shot in casper wyoming where it's the train and people are walking up and down the streets and all this other stuff and it's like okay well that's that's a shot of a town yeah exactly that's it. That's that all. He he. Oh my god. <laughs> he built an entire town and then decided that the sh- the street wasn't wide enough, <laughs> and told him to tear down the entire set, both sides of the street, and widen it by six feet. And the production designer said we could just tear down one side, move it, move it over. And he said, No, I want both sides torn down and expanded by three feet. <laughs> and because he had carte blanche. He got it. That's what he got. And this whole movie is yeah. that. That is what this yeah. is. It's it's someone who who saw great American epic movies like The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two, and said, "I want to do something like that." And it turns out he didn't have the chops to do it. That's what this movie. But he plays didn't like even. That. I mean, he didn't even pull. From the no. we have westerns that are freaking works of oh, God, art yes. up until this point. He didn't pull from any of no. them. He didn't even pull from John Ford, and this movie desperately needed some shots from John Ford. 
I agree. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, that that part didn't occur to me. But yeah, there, the there the lack are, of there are spaghetti westerns yeah. that are deeper and talk more about the human condition oh, definitely than this freaking movie. And those people are from Italy, <laughs> and most of them were not trying to make a Even pretentious sp- movie. They were no, they, they were making a cheap western. <laughs> what is the big? What, which film is it where it has uh, kids torturing a scorpion with ants? It's one of those movies. There's an opening shot of a western. I can't remember which one it is. It's just these kids that uh, are torturing this scorpion with ants. That shot informs the rest of the film. Yeah, and is better than everything that's in this movie. Everything. Uh, okay, so Steve. <laughs> yes, my friend. <sighs> recommend or not recommend for Heaven's Gate? <laughs> I'm going to recommend that people don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just going to decline to recommend it. I'm going to tell anybody listening to this: if you have not seen this movie, do not waste your time. It is. It is. I'm going to honestly say that I. I hate this movie more than any other in the film that we have reviewed on this I show. I would go along with that. I would go along with that. I am angry that it wasted my time. I am angry that it wasted so much money. I am angry that it inconvenienced a number of actors who could have been doing much better things. Um, in the... I don't know how long it took them... Year, a year to film this. Yeah. There are stories about them sitting around for months between shots because he's just sitting around dicking around with some bullshit that didn't matter because I don't see any attention to detail anywhere yeah. in this in this movie. I mean, for the love of <laughs> God, <laughs> Terry Gilliam makes super deep, rich, fantastically aesthetic. If you don't like the plot line, you'll at least love the aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> and he does it in a short amount of time. And he, this is a director who gets in trouble for overspending. <laughs> but God damn it, when he's done with a movie, you go, oh, okay, I see. He's, he, he really wanted to fill the frame, and he, he's doing rich stuff. Oh, boy. This one, I don't see any of that money or time in this film. No. It's just a big, boring piece <laughs> of shit coming out of this guy's <laughs> asshole, and I don't want to watch that. And I don't think anybody else should watch it either. And I've learned my lesson, Steve. If someone says a movie's bad, I'm not going <laughs> to listen to some dipshit critic, probably from Europe, going, I think this movie is fuck Shut you. Shut up. You don't know, man. <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. If you guys don't watch it on a dare, don't do it as a drinking game. Don't accidentally watch it. It's never going to appear on television. There is not a TV station anywhere that's going to accidentally show Heaven's Gate ever. And don't It's not going to it's not going to appear on cable. You're not going to, I had to fucking rent yeah. it. Yeah, so did I. And and for the love of God, don't let Ugh. people you care about watch it. If you walk into a room and, and, and your and, friends and, are watching this movie, turn it off. And I don't want people to misunderstand me. I had a thought when I was watching it going, well, maybe if I went in and I did a hard edit, like did a hard edit and took out the 45 minutes of Harvard (laughs) and took out all of the scenes where we're just fucking watching smoking nothing. (laughs) And I took out all of that stuff and I tightened everything together. Could this be a good movie? And the answer is no. (laughs) 
because it is broken. Yeah. The whole movie is broken. The script is terrible. The characters are shallow. There is nothing interesting going on. And when you don't care about the people and you don't care about anything that's going on, you have a long, boring piece of shit movie that at the very last minute breaks out rape and violence to try to justify being deep. Fuck that. Yep. So, yeah, I don't recommend this movie. I'd rather... You know all the movies that we didn't like earlier <laughs> on? I'd rather, wa- I'd rather watch them all in a row while someone smashes my nuts <laughs> than watch this movie again. I was supposed to watch this twice to be a good reviewer. I tried to. I couldn't do it. Bad movie. When you're watching a film and all you can see are sniper targets over the characters <laughs> while you're watching it a second time, it means you don't want to watch the movie yeah. anymore. It'd be like, hey, you know what? This this graduation scene would be so great if Joseph Cotton's head just exploded and there was a gunshot. <laughs> or, if, or if Joseph Cotton pulled out a gun and said... And just mowed down the graduation. I have class. seen the future. I will not allow this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Steve... Uh. Yeah, yeah. It's now time for us to recommend a movie. <laughs> that won't be too hard. That is, no, it won't. Yeah, fuck it. Home movies of your grandfather scratching his nuts for five minutes are better than this. I believe in a previous episode you recommended any other movie. That this would be a good time. <laughs> To repeat that recommendation. Not this one. I have to go back and amend that, that podcast. <laughs> um, I, I toyed with the idea of recommending any other movie with heaven in the title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, like the heavenly King. Anything. Heaven can wait. Um, um, I, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that that piece of Christian propaganda, heaven is for real, must be better than this. <laughs> Just by, if only by virtue of the fact that it's about half as long. Um but I actually am going to recommend a movie um, because this is now one of my very least favorite movies. Uh, I feel like I should recommend one of my favorite movies that is also a Western and and uh, was directed by a filmmaker that Michael Cimino claims is his his biggest. Oh, I know who you're his talking biggest about, influence, yeah. which is Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I, I believe yeah. me. This lowered my estimation of Clint Eastwood because he infected us. with. Yeah. And do you see any trace of Clint Eastwood in in Heaven's Gate? I mean, it, there's nothing. No, I don't. No, and, I don't. I mean, Clint Eastwood shoots movies in over a weekend. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's like, hey, I feel like making a movie. What about a giant tsunami? I have five days to shoot it. <laughs> what? <laughs> we don't have a script, but we're just gonna go. Okay. We're just gonna go. Yeah. So you know, but anyway, the movie I'm going to recommend is a western directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Clint Eastwood. Um, one of my favorite films, The Outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, uh, it's such a great movie. It is just a hair over two hours, not three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It is like uh, like Heaven's Gate. It is something of a revisionist western. Uh, unlike Heaven's Gate, it is brilliant and really enjoyable, mm-hmm. and and yeah. just a terrific movie from top to bottom. So uh, mm-hmm. if you would like to watch a great American Western directed by and starring a great figure from American Western film. Uh, I would recommend that you stay as far away from Heaven's Gate as possible and you instead mm-hmm. watch The Outlaw Josie Wales. Check that one out instead. That's my recommendation. Yeah. Actually, just fucking watch any Clint Eastwood Western. Yeah. 
for the love of God. I mean, we, we're not going to have Clint Eastwood for much longer. Yeah, <laughs> enjoy him while he's Sorry, still Clint. here. <laughs> Unless you know something I don't know, Clint. We're you know we're not going to have you much longer, and you've made a lot of great films. <sighs> okay, well, I'm going to take the opposite track, and I'm going to pick a film that came out around that time. This came out in 1982, and although technically it's not a Western, it follows those Western themes about... Um, the death of Western culture and how the transition to that can be difficult. And uh, the film I'm picking actually is not an American film. It's a Canadian film uh, directed by Philip Boros um, and written by John Hunter. It's one of my favorite films starring one of my favorite actors ever. Um, And that movie is called The Gray Fox. And The Gray Fox is about a former train robber played by Richard Farnsworth who uh, is released out of prison in, like, 1901. Or a little bit later than that, actually, after 30 years in prison. And the very first thing he does is he goes into a movie theater and he watches The Great Train Robbery. And he goes, you know what? I bet I can do that again. No one will be expecting (laughs) it. And this old man robs a train, gets away with it, uh, rushes off to to a town to start his life anew, with a uh, uh, not super young I mean this is an older woman but uh, with a a, a, what you would call a proto-feminist woman and uh, it's a quiet incredibly well shot very rich and if you guys don't know who Richard Farnsworth is you may know him better as uh, what was his name was it Uncle Matthew in Anne of Green Gables Gables. And as uh, one of the team managers in The Natural and as the lead character in uh, Straight Mm -hmm. Story, the only G-rated David Lynch (laughs) film. Um, Very understated guy. He was a stuntman working in Hollywood for years. And he appeared in some of the movies that we just, uh, that we have reviewed, including Gone with the Wind and a whole bunch of other stuff. But he was just... You know, he did a lot of horse uh, horse riding stunts and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden, later in life, he started getting speaking roles, and then he got this film. It is a fantastic, fantastic movie. It's not an adventure film, and it's also one of those few movies that actually features older actors in lead roles. And you don't get too many of those anymore. Um, but it's a it's a great film. It's the polar opposite of this bloated piece of shit that we just watched. It's one of my favorites, so if you can go find it, go find The Gray Fox. That's G-R-E-Y, not A-Y, and you'll never find it. And you'll be like, Jason just lied to us about a movie. Why would he make <laughs> up a movie it, like that? But, you know, it, it's one of the... It's it's not that huge here in the United States, but in Canada, it's a big deal, and he won a lot of awards for it, and it was interred in Canada's, you know, vault of historically significant films. So go out and find it. The Gray Fox. It's fucking awesome. And here's another thing. Shot a million times better than a movie that just that came out two years before it. So go watch yeah. that. Oh, yeah, and another thing. If there are movies you want to recommend... <laughs> to us that you want us to review on this show just remember they need to be at least 10 years old and they have to be movies that are considered classic or films of note or pop culturally significant films so those are our only caveats we've been getting a lot of really great recommendations we have a a embarrassment (laughs) of films that we could possibly um do and uh i thank everybody who's been sending in the suggestions and liking the show and and thank you 
and uh, that's it. I'm done. I want to uh, go bash my head in. And Steve, please feel free. The next time I say, hey, there's this movie that's supposed to be awful that's like five hours long. Do you want to review it on the podcast? You can feel free the next time I am you to just write back, go fuck yourself, go fuck your whole family, Jason. You're insane. Don't you remember Heaven's I'm, Gate? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna text back Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Heaven's Gate, man. You're a lot more diplomatic than Heaven's I Gate, am. man. You don't want to do that to yourself. You don't want to do that to me. Uh, <laughs> all right. So until next time, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives, and you're not in my class, Jason. <laughs> and you never will be. You'd have to die first and be born again. What the hell did that mean? I have no idea. Did he just imply that he's Jesus? <laughs> Chris Christophers, and you're not Jesus. My name's Jesus, Jesus Averill, and I'm the marshal about these parts. You, you weren't even the coolest highwayman. Who are you even trying to kill? <laughs> oh, wow. Who was the coolest highwayman? Cash. Johnny Cash. Yeah, I guess I he was, huh? Yeah, yeah he was. Fuck it. Johnny Cash could have eaten three Chris Christophersons for breakfast. <laughs> Chris, Chris, While I saw shooting that. heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I saw that Heaven's Gate. What the fuck was that? This is the reason why I don't do acting anymore, Chris. <laughs> you and just apparently gotta learn neither to do you. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Don't you worry, in 30 years I'm going to be playing an old man helping a, a, a Dracula fight other Draculas. <laughs> and then I'm going to be in a Pee Wee Herman movie. <laughs> I'm going to have a little wife that lives in my pocket. You'll see, I'll get the last laugh. <laughs> Alright, bye everybody. Bye. Late Seating is a Lemmy Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Music by Kevin McLeod. Produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Lemmy Listen podcasts at our website at www.lemmylistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Lemmy Listen. Please like and leave a review. And thanks for listening.